0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Okay, guys, this episode of the WOMED is brought to you in part by my new favorite source for getting my continuing education done, Board Vitals. After Danny told me about Board Vitals, I jumped on the site. I feel like I'm always behind on my continuing education hours. The Board Vitals is an online medical education resource that provides question banks for every doctoral, nursing, dental, you name it, board exams medical professionals have to take, including recertification exams and a way to earn continuing medical education hours. I have always wanted to take the CCRN exam, And now I have zero excuses. I'm using Board Vitals to study for it. Board Vitals also stands by their products 100% and offers a 100% pass guarantee on all three month or longer plans. And if you don't pass, they offer a free subscription for the length of time that you originally purchased. So you can try again with confidence. And they're offering a new CME Pro Plus option where you can build your own custom CME plan according to your CME allowance and get a complimentary Amazon or Apple gift card for up to $2,000. What? Also, we love companies that give back here on the WOMED, and in an effort to help combat vaccine-preventable disease, Board Vitals donates the equivalent of one vaccine to communities with children in need through their GiveVax campaign. The end of 2019 will be here before you know it. Have you completed your continuing education requirements or do you have any upcoming board exams? Board Vitals is offering WOMED listeners 15% off any question bank. Go to boardvitals.com and enter WOMED, W-O-M-E-D, at checkout for 15% off. And if you're not ready to start, lock in this offer today and start studying when it's right for you. You can also delay your start date for up to six months or sign up for a free trial. Again, go to boardvitals.com and enter WOMED at checkout for 15% off. All right. Welcome back to the Womad, everyone. Um, Danny and I are here with Dr. Lando, and we're so excited to speak with her. She is a cancer survivor, author, and surgeon, and just, I mean, I don't know if you could and mother and like wife and like all of the above awesome things. Like I don't know how you do them all in one day and help your daughters with core math like poorly. Basically,
1: I highly doubt it's poorly.
2: I was just talking. There was a uh, face. There's this Facebook surgeon moms group, and there was <laughs> there was this that. really funny one where someone was talking about like a total meltdown. Two of her kids like basically one kid like shit in his diaper and and went through his pants and like she was changing the kid on the hood of the car and then the other kid was crying and then like ran into a patient she had just done like a breast reconstruction in in the parking lot <laughs> who she said was perfectly made up and you know like looked like a million bucks and I was just like you know, this is there's that's the perception versus the reality. Like, if anyone knew what a mess I was in real life, they would stop being so um respectful of
1: how I balance it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh I love that story. Somebody just pooping their that's pants, amazing. just like bringing you back to reality, and then you're all of a sudden you're changing a diaper on the hood of your car. And she
2: said, like, she's like leaning over the hood of her car, and then the woman's like, <gasps> doctor whatever um hi
0: i'm coming for my post-op visit on monday oh my God, so <laughs> like awful. i promise i won't have
1: poopy hands at that point
0: or i might but have
1: maybe washed my hands off by then that yeah. is so awful well we are thankful to have you whether you are a mess in real life or in fact yes. you are you do have it all together because we feel bad for this is the second time we've had you because we recorded you the first time had a great conversation and uh had some technical difficulties so we're back, but awesome. Oh. Yes. Thrilled. So <laughs> dear, are you going to take us off with the lubrication question? Yes.
0: So today's wom- uh WOMED question. Today's lubrication question is <laughs> it's kind of silly, but it, it's still great. <laughs> Would you rather have to wear a wedding dress or a tuxedo every day or be stuck in a swimsuit every day?
1: Oh, Oh, so
2: easy. Yeah, me too. But (laughs) oh my god. Tuxedo, no, like not even like second and third or way down.
0: Yeah. I agree. I would love to rock like a lady tuxedo every day. Me too.
2: For sure. I wish I could pull that off. I actually I'm giving this talk coming up for this charity event. Oh,
0: I think you could.
2: I don't know. So I I'm giving this talk for this charity event, this this cancer charity event in like three weeks, and I was looking online at like rent the runway, and I saw one of those like tuxedo, you know, like where it comes all the way down, like the V of the tuxedo, and you don't have a uh-huh. shirt underneath. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, I, I did not think I could pull that off, actually. Yeah, you could actually.
0: No, you, you could do like a a bodysuit under it. Uh huh. Like kind of like a lace or like a sheer or something, because it's gonna cover everything. But, oh my god, no, you would look like a
1: smoke yeah, you would look show. amazing. You definitely are like super fit, like, like lively vibes. Like, you, I should don't know do With it. the
2: short hair you got to toe the line with the male female, you know, kind <laughs> that's
1: of like true. You,
0: that's why you throw in that lacy bodysuit that's just a little peek of sexy. So,
1: like, you're like, I yeah. was actually gonna say, it doesn't have lace on it for sure. But
0: <laughs> yeah, just throw all your styling questions my way, I'll help you out as best I
1: can. <laughs> that sounds good. You should just pick my outfit. True. Oh, can I? She's really good <laughs> at that. Yeah. And also I would love like that. side note, of course, she's giving a talk at a cancer event coming up. So we'll get to hear, we'll yes. get to hear all of the things that you do. But my favorite, uh, well, my favorite thing to start off with is you are a pediatric ENT surgeon, correct? Yes. Will you tell us all about your training and how many glorious years you spent <laughs> in training and why you became a pediatric ENT surgeon? Okay, so I started stressing when I was about seven and
2: a half years old. (laughs) (laughs) And that is not really a joke. That's the sad part. Um, I remember handing in like tests in second grade, and I was like, cannot fail, cannot fail. (laughs) Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) All I remember Um, from second grade is my teacher's guinea pig. (laughs) Oh, no.
2: But, you know, skipping through that, I obviously four years of undergrad and then I did four years of medical school and ENT is a five-year residency. The first year is general surgery. So it's pretty, pretty intense that first year. Um, And that's kind of Gray's Anatomy that year. Um, And then four years of ENT head and neck surgery training. And then I did a two-year fellowship In pediatric airway surgery at CHOP. I did all my other training in Cornell and Columbia. And so at the end of the day, like not counting, you know, four years of grad school, it was seven years of training, Um, which is why I always want to like punch people in the face when they ever (laughs) use the term, you're so lucky you have job security. And I'm like,
1: luck has nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell? Who even who seriously says that? I've... One of my
2: really good friends who's a lawyer, she's like, you don't understand what it's like to have, you know, billable hours and where it's not just good enough to be who you are. I'm like, what are you talking about,
1: you know, lady? <laughs> like, you still have to be really good at what you do. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, you're literally cutting on little kids' airways and noses and stuff. Like, you ought to have, like, Whatever well, training, you even. know,
2: it's everything's a big responsibility, no matter what you're doing. Um, and you get trained for it, but I just just don't appreciate those who forget the toil because I basically, I mean, you really do put like your whole life on hold for a about a decade, and um, yeah, it's you know, you just you just want a little acknowledgement, just a teeny kind absolutely. Of I, I acknowledge my gosh. you. I
0: bowed down to that. I, I, do I mean, Like I never went back for a nurse practitioner degree because I I was like, I'm done with school. I can't, I can't write another paper. I can't take another test. I can't do it.
1: Yeah. not to mention like the strain that so many doctors have on like relationships and whatnot, just because for various reasons, but a lot of times you meet people that are in medical school with you and then you have different residencies and different places, or mm-hmm. you're just super stressed out and the poor person at home waiting for you doesn't understand what you're going through. Like you guys have a lot more than just like putting your head down and doing your training. I mean, like, it's hard to live a regular life for that whole time. And sometimes after so like, mad respect for sure. Yeah.
2: No, I mean, Uh, I burned through an entire marriage during (laughs) during internship. So I did not like when people that's the other thing is like, you know, you, you see people as they are, where you know, at this moment in time, so yeah. I have you know, kids and a husband and the job and the whole thing, but that is not where I was in my 30s. I was like going through a really, really nasty divorce, mm-hmm. I didn't have kids, and it was sacrificed you know, because of the lifestyle, because of that person's belief that I was you know, just putting them as the least priority, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, and then having a very predictable call schedule during which time it's very easy to cheat on the other yeah. person. Like that's yeah. that's really what it was. You know, I did I did overnights in the hospital for four months. So if like mm-hmm. your spouse knows that you're not coming home and they want to cheat on you, it's really easy. And that is not an uncommon story. You know No,
1: it's not. I feel like you're not the you're it's like very vulnerable of you to even mention it. But yeah. so many people go through the same thing. And it's super sad. So you are a perfect example of like, you literally just put your entire like life on the line from, yeah. you know, 20 to 35 or whatever, yeah. because of training, basically 18 to 35, in your case, second grade to like
0: 35. <laughs> yeah. Noom, noom, noom. I feel like I'm in a new phase of life where I'm working more on listening to my body and what it needs to feel good and stay healthy instead of looking at other women on social media and getting in the compare game with them. I think we all have some level of body dysmorphia, but we can't keep comparing ourselves to other people because what our body needs is totally different than what someone else's may need. But that is what makes me love Noom so much. It's not a fad diet. It's a habit-changing solution to help you develop a new relationship with food and helps you break bad habits like negative self-talk. I love the articles that they have and my health coach on Noom is amazing. The app is so easy to use and asks you for 10 minutes a day and we all have 10 minutes in a day to spare for our health. Noom has helped me finally find a really healthy balance with exercise and food. We're all human and we get off track and if you do, they are a shame-free zone and they'll help you get back on track. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make for the biggest progress. So, take a small step today and sign up for a free trial at Noom. That's N O O M.com/womed. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com/womed. That's noom.com slash WOMED and take a small step today and start your free trial.
1: So what was the, why did you decide pediatric ENT? Well, I, I mean, I really
2: always liked the pediatric population. It was just Mm -hmm. like the thing that I gravitated towards since the beginning of medicine. But then I, 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 I went into medical school like I will never be a surgeon because my mind, what a surgeon was, was this, you know, kind of the old school detached certain personality that was like probably the general surgery uh, type of persona. And mm-hmm. then I just really fell in love with a specific anatomy. And this isn't so unique to me, but many ENTs, it's like they just like the anatomy of the head and neck. It's, it's complex. It's, mm-hmm. there's something like elegant about it. And mm-hmm. Um, And pediatric ENT, I ended up because I really liked finite solvable problems. You know, the other side of of ENT is the total opposite. It's, um, you know, really bad head and neck cancers, really sick patients, Mm -hmm. really problems that you don't solve and people don't walk off into the sunset. And I liked the small solvable problems. I mean, that being said, pediatric airway, like, really complicated ex premies they're not, you know, there's, there's a lot going on and you don't just fix it right away. But I just, I like, I just connect with kids. I feel like I can put them at ease a lot better in my office and in the OR. Um, it's -hmm. actually weird for me at this point because I see so many young kids. So if like a like a 16 year old drives himself into my office i'm so awkward like where's the parent like how who do i talk to about this problem like you know what i'm not used to talking to the patient as a decision maker
1: so yeah yeah no that completely makes sense and i for okay. those of us who are not familiar with like preemies with airway problems what are some of the problems that you encounter
2: we've basically pushed the limits of science to the point where we can make a 23 week old, very underdeveloped, you know, fetus, really baby survive. And in order to do that, though, their lungs are completely not ready to breathe. And so they end up most of the time, you know, being intubated with an artificial airway. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that's your only option. You got to like, you got to, you got to breathe to live, But having had the tube down there to support them all that time, your airway is not meant to have a big piece of plastic down it. And so there are a lot of secondary problems that happen, such as scarring of the airway that narrows it or um, kind of disrupting little mucus glands that are inside the airway. And so you get these almost like giant blisters of the airway. But the problem is that you know, anything that blocks your airway interferes with your breathing. And so a lot of these ex-preemies end up with, they'll kind of get discharged from the NICU, sometimes breathing on their own, seeming pretty good, but making a lot of airway noise. And ultimately there's something that needs to be fixed, you know, underlying it. Um, sometimes, you know, they they require artificial airways like tracheotomies and then, it just kind of ranges from simpler to more complex uh, problems, but that's like my favorite thing to do is oh. fix airway problems in in children and infants.
0: I've seen trachs fix so many issues. You, you'll have like a perfectly fine term newborn kid that just like has like a, like vocal cord major vocal cord paralysis or something like that, or mm-hmm. um, just has like something obstructing and it's like all that all they need or like a big old fat heavy tongue that like they can't right maneuver and it's like they they get their trach and they're a whole new baby
2: right I mean that's the that's the upside the downside is that it takes you know a certain family to be able to manage that and then it, Mm -hmm. it sometimes relegates some of these kids to needing like a special care facility so I mean you know if you if if you're in the NICU there's there's amazing miracle stories. And then there's, um, you know, really sad kind of long-term neurologic problems. Yeah. Where they just don't end up walking off into the sunset. So, I mean, this Friday, for example, this past Friday, I had one of those like really, really awesome days where I had, you know, four kids with four different airway problems that were actually solvable, like really solvable. And those are my great days. Like those are the days where I I run around, like everyone makes fun of me because I'll like show everybody my pictures. Like, do you see this? You know, look at this, (laughs) look at this before, look at this after. And, you know, to the people that are, you know, like the PICU and uh, the pediatric ICU that I'm dropping them off at, or the anesthesiologists that weren't in the room with me. And that stuff I get really passionate about. I actually had this kid on Friday and he was in a um, house fire and he, it was really, he's really lucky because like it was like a, some electrical short and the whole house burnt down and he got out with really minimal burns for the severity of the fire, um, like like healable burns, you know, second yeah. degree burns. Um, but he walks into my office. This was, you know, after discharge from the hospital and he does not sound okay with his breathing. So he's walking around. He's like eight years old walking around, but he had no voice and he had very noisy breathing. And it was just so odd to me that nobody kind of Ugh. consulted ENT while he was in the yeah. hospital. Like it was for like
0: smoke inhalation. Right? It was so like.
2: weird. It was so weird. And then, so I took him, I knew, you know, he was stable enough mm-hmm. that I could leave him like on the outside till I could get him on the schedule. And then I took him to the OR and he had just you know, s- inhalational injuries, it was like three different levels. Like he had, I had to do like three different things to get his airway better because there was so much damage. But luckily for him, I actually think, and this is rare that he's going to like do really well with some, you know, non super invasive interventions that, you know, like you can do endoscopically, which is what I, what, which I do a lot of where it's with cameras and no cuts and, you know, um, so it's pretty amazing that that stuff is super satisfying.
1: That's awesome. And I feel like I'm sure, you know, you have to have those days, like jobs yeah. where you don't have them are completely miserable. <laughs> I know. Like, right? Honestly, like sometimes in the ICU, I'm just like, oh my gosh, can somebody live, please? Like, I'm I just like dying oh, yeah. for somebody to like walk away. Sometimes I have to leave my unit and go to another unit where people can Walk like go to talk the nursery and, we'll and just see the cute babies <laughs> or something or um, like yeah. call, call a pet or you know like a hospital pet or something but that's that's awesome and I honestly until we interviewed you you were a profession that I never really gave a lot of thought to and I mean that in the nicest way but it's just <laughs> like it's not something that I I see on a regular basis and I just don't you know, it's crazy how you get so locked into your area of the hospital and don't know mm-hmm. what else is going on. You know, I don't consult, I consult ENT, but I don't consult pediatric ENT by any means. So like Danielle yeah. knows more about it than I do. But There's like- They're some of my favorite people. What you do is just so cool. Like Right, I, with the NICU,
2: I feel like, I mean, I, I there are times when I like know all the nurses and have a real relationship because yeah. they know the babies like super duper well. Mm-hmm. So- And then it, you know, for the kids that are like, like you said, like the kids that are not just walking off into the sunset after one little, you know, intervention. But yeah, I mean, I, I I really feel extremely privileged that I found like my profession, like this specific little niche. And it's, it's really fits me. Um, And I, and I, you know, there's a lot of monotony in any job that you do, right? But you have to have like the highs of, Um, when you really know you're making a difference, right? To like balance all the other stuff.
0: Yes, definitely. In starting this podcast, I don't think I fully realized how many creatives there were in the medical field. It's honestly made me feel not so alone in this need I have to feel this other side of me. That's partly why I think I'm having so much fun with Skillshare. You've heard us talk about it before, but it's an online learning community for the creator in all of us. They have thousands of classes in photography and creative writing to design and productivity. And all the classes are on demand, so you can learn at your own pace. Are you on night shift? Take those classes at 2 a.m. I've been taking the creative writing classes because writing has always been a therapeutic outlet for me, and it's something I've always wanted to explore more. We talk a lot about medicine being an art and a science. And I believe exploring your creative side and knowing all parts of yourself can only make you a better provider. Take a chance and join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare and get two months free when you sign up at Skillshare.com WOMED. That's a whole 60 freaking days of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free people. Head to Skillshare.com. Slash WOMED. That's skillshare.com slash WOMED.
1: At what point, and I'm just skipping to this because you wrote a book about it and yeah. <laughs> you talk about it. At what point did your breast cancer happen? Where were you in your training? Were you working?
2: So I had one kid, um, one of my kids, you know, as a chief resident um, in my fifth year of residency, my second daughter in fellowship. And then I finally you know, became a real working person and (laughs) moved out to Westchester and I had my third daughter and it was a very weird experience because I thought I was having like a completely normal pregnancy and then basically had like to emergently deliver her because of really severe preeclampsia, which was like right around the same time that that part of Downton Abbey came out. So everybody was like afraid to let me watch that season
1: oh, <laughs> where god. she like
2: dies of eclampsia.
1: Oh, oh god, <laughs> Because
2: you know it's like most people don't even know anything about it, and right. you used it's to really so die of it. Common. It was really crazy, but now it's really common. But anyway, point is, I was like going along, like you know, operating and doing my thing and feeling really invincible just in general, and then. You know, I came in at whatever, 6 p.m. one night to like my OB visit routine and ended up having to deliver her, you know, prematurely the next morning. So that was, wow. you know, kind of like my first foray into being on the other side. But it wasn't me. It was this baby. And I have spent, you know, so like, she, thank God she wasn't, you know, a very, very fragile micro preemie where I was mm-hmm. like worried about her survival, but Um, I had never been on the other side of that. Um, I spent a lot of time in the NICU. So to be a parent in the NICU was like a total weird role reversal, kind of like what it would be like if you were, you know, as a nurse, um, right. It's like this, like, you're not in charge. You're, you're the vulnerable one. You're the one who needs to defer to everybody else and know what's happening and feel very helpless. So that happened. And obviously that was really harrowing. And I, went back to work. And by the way, I had only planned to be off for like five and a half weeks because
1: wow, <laughs> that's how I do my, yeah, I'm not, there's nothing shocked about me right now. <laughs> I know. I
2: know. It's just the way that I, so I was, I was like, I'm going to work till the point I give birth and then I'm going to mm-hmm. come right back. And then obviously I, it got derailed not um because, you know, leaving like a, she came home from NICU. She was like four pounds and I had a yeah. two-year-old and a four-year-old. So oh my God. I couldn't really leave my, you know, nanny with mm-hmm. a like NICU baby and a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So I had to extend my maternity leave a little longer. And then I had really just gotten back to work probably, I guess like three months later. But again, you know, it's like you're ramping back up. You're becoming yourself again. You're becoming your, you know, you, you get any of these major life experiences like really hit you. And then I was all the way back to super busy and really, really, you know, stressed at home. Um, and then I just one night, I had, I have told you guys this story before, but it just was this time where you just think that nothing else could, could come down on you in your life. But, you know, my, my father had just been diagnosed with the brain tumor and it was another, you know, I was he some people think of a man in their 70s as like old, but my father was had no health problems and was like, you know, the head of a company. And he was really the pillar of my family, my own life. He had been just that, you know, he was just always the person that I turned to in every way. And to he was like the best guy to everyone, right?
1: Like he was he, like, he the was, guy to everyone. He
2: was just that person. And I, I tell this story because he ultimately, you know, lost that battle with brain cancer. And mm-hmm. there were literally a thousand people at his funeral and oh it gosh. was silent oh. because that's like the kind of respect level. You know what I mean? Like nobody said a word except for the people that were speaking. And I think it was just so representative of how it was when he was, he was never haughty. And that was the thing that I always grew up with. Like, I guess it's just part of my personality is that if you are accomplished or good at what you do, um, or you're an impressive person, you do not need to project that, sense of entitlement or sense mm-hmm. of being better than anyone else. And I just grew up with a person that should have been that way and wasn't. Um, and that's probably one of his greatest qualities, which is, I think why like so many people related to him, because you could be like the Starbucks person who is like giving him coffee and you could be the CEO of a company and he would kind of relate to you in a, in the same way. And yeah. that's, you know, really special person. So he, had just started, you know, with this realization that he had a brain tumor, um, after having some word finding difficulties in the middle of a conversation with my mom and some of their friends. And, um, even though I have three brothers and I am from a big Jewish family, mm-hmm. I'm the only doctor in my family. Um, like literally not aunts, uncles, like it's, it's really crazy. But it's crazy. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of like scientists and lawyers and bankers, but it's okay. <laughs> not totally abnormal um, for a New York Jewish family, but, uh, <laughs> but the, I'm the only doctor. So I was really navigating everything with him and he was at Columbia. I'd had him transfer there, which is where I trained. So yet again, it was just a lot of this being on the other side of things. This is all before it was me being the patient. So first it was, you know, my daughter. Um, And again, my family had been so healthy that I really hadn't dealt with health crises on, except for, you know, grandparents in old age. And then my daughter's in the NICU, she gets out. Then my father you know, has a malignant brain tumor and I'm in Columbia Presbyterian, you know, not as a resident, but as the patient's daughter, um, advocating. And then two weeks after that, I, you know, just brushed my hand against my chest and found this giant tumor. And I really thought this, I'm not awake. Like I can't be awake because this this has to be a dream. Yeah, it has to be a dream because how is that even possible? It's 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 like almost like a joke, right? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. And you know you have those dreams. I have them all the time where I'm so not sure if I'm awake or not and then mm-hmm. you wake up and you're like, "Oh, thank God. That was just a dream." You know? Um and that was the sensation that I had, but it was, you know, definitely there when I felt it again in the morning and um I talk a lot about this in my book, which I'll, I'll explain more later, but I you know, had a full day in the OR the next day. So I just went to work. I told my nurse because she's like always with me in the OR and she knows me really well. And she told me to call the breast radiologist at my institution, which I did. And he was, you know, he was a little, he wasn't dismissive in that. He definitely kept the office open for me and said that he will see me that day, which was really amazing of him. But he's like, you just had a baby. I'm sure it's just a blocked milk duct. I'm sure it's nothing. And, you know, I said, I don't, uh, I kind of know what a tumor feels like and it feels like a tumor, but you know, you want to believe that it's Mm going to be something else. Um, right. And then I just went like straight from the end of my day, right into the building that I see patients in, which is where the radiology suite was the, you know, mammogram and ultrasound. And, and I've said this many times. I didn't even say anything. I didn't tell my husband anything that night before because you know my family's used to me digesting the medical information. he's not in the medical field at all, and I just mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell him till I had you know some real you know data of like what was happening, and so I go in there and you know, I have an, an ultrasound and a mammogram within a really short period of time. And it was it was cancer, like it was just cancer. There was no it was not stage zero. It was not mm-hmm. maybe it just had every feature and it wasn't small. And so I just already had this diagnosis of like invasive breast cancer. Really that same day. And then that's when I had to kind of you know, the whole world really came crashing down because you can't just work your way through that.
1: (laughs) No, No, you can't. No. Oh my gosh. So like, where do you even, where do you even go from there? I'm sure it's like a whirlwind once you get a diagnosis. I I definitely had a lot of things that
2: were very lucky about my situation. And the first one was that I had somebody to call Mm -hmm. and I I called, I actually just spent the, the weekend with her which I don't do very often. It was like our first time that we like actually brought our families together for a weekend. But my best friend from medical school became a breast radiologist. And so I Um, called her and I just, you know, I was like, told her the situation really quickly. She said, text me the images. And I texted her. I'm like sitting there in my robe, like crying in the, you know, waiting, not the waiting room, but like, you know, when you walk out of the mammogram and the ultrasound. And, um, and then she just looked at them while I was on the phone with her. And she said, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like this is, this is invasive. And it's, it's, um, you know, nobody knew really what the staging was. So I did get to talk it through with her a little bit, which was good. I don't remember any of what we actually talked about. Yeah, And
0: then I, and
2: that. then, you know, and then I was like, Oh my God, I have to like tell my husband, um, and I, it's again, like lots of people have to tell their spouse, mm-hmm. you know, that they have cancer and, you know, breast cancer, especially, but this timing of what was going on, because just a, a little bit more of the backstory is that my husband worked for my father. So we were like, oh in it, you know, like yeah. deep, deep in it. Yeah. And, um, and I just couldn't believe that I had to like lay on another layer. And I, it's not because I'm self selfless. I just, I was like, this is, I don't even know what to do. Um, But my husband, I, I had to tell obviously. And I just blurted it out like bluntly and quickly because there's just no, like, what's the point of sugarcoating, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But telling my parents was like the worst thing I ever had to do because I am an only daughter. I mean, I'm that doctor daughter, like extremely close with both of them. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to tell my father how everything was going to be okay, even though in my heart I didn't feel that way about, you know, brain cancer. It's just, you know, the statistics are really not good. And then Mm -hmm. to have to then tell them that I had cancer and not, you know, I didn't have all the information initially. But so basically, I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them and I went through the whole process on my own. Um, I mean, not on my own, but on my own, like not with my, with my parents involved or with my immediate family really helping out. And then um, the day, the day before my surgery, Mm -hmm. my brother just convinced me that it is not respectful of them as parents to not tell them at all. Cause that's what I was about to do. Like I just, just in
0: case something would have happened. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, because I, but I was just like, I can't do it. I cannot sit these people down and like put this on them. Yeah. And it was, I just, so I left it. I I mean, I live in Westchester. My parents live in New Jersey. So it's about an hour and 20 minute drive. I left it till the night before my surgery. I then at like seven o'clock, I got into my car. I drove out, sat them down in their kitchen and just said, um, Everything's going to be okay, but I have to tell you something. And then, you know, I just told them and then I just quickly kept talking about, you know, what the plan is and how it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I think that I thought that it would be, and then it really was not until I got like my final pathology and my whole prognosis was so much worse that like things really changed, like the kind of the, the darkness stuff was uh was you know your your people's view of breast cancer in a general sense and and luckily it's true is that it's highly curable in like depending on your stage and and your type so it's a little bit like oh that's the good cancer like everyone everyone called my cancer the good cancer i was so pissed
0: like how about i put this tumor in your breast right now and see what you if it's still the good cancer Exactly.
1: i seriously that would it's really, really fucking annoying to be called the Seriously, good cancer Seriously, Tara, it's like so minimizes. Yeah. There is no yeah, good cancer. Yeah, like it cancer. freaking minimizes everything you're going through. <gasps> well, they were just, I mean, I think people,
2: you know, they don't know what yeah. to say. They're trying to be yeah. encouraging. They're trying yeah, to be supportive. Exactly. They're, trying, they're, trying, they're trying, yeah. trying to find like the sure. good, they're...
0: some good thing to hold on to too, you know? Right.
2: And, yeah. And to my mom, yeah. they're trying to say, well, at least, you know, Tali's got the good cancer. And, um, <laughs>
1: you know, but- but oh, she loved sure. that. She. So, how long did the treatment take from that point? Like, I'm. You, I. I forget. You had surgery, chemo, radiation, or I had a bilateral
2: mastectomy and a complete lymph node dissection because, like, you know, usually people are doing a sentinel node dissection if they are just sampling the lymph nodes to see what's going on, and because. I already knew that I had positive lymph nodes before my surgery. Actually, they thought I had just one positive lymph node, like one rogue. We don't know how it happened. Lymph node got, you know, a little bit of cancer got away. Um, And but but anyway, even when that's the case, you do a full lymph node dissection. And then so when I went into surgery, my my surgeon thought that there was like a 50-50 shot of me needing chemotherapy, zero percent chance of me needing radiation, and really good statistics. And when I got my pathology, it was like the whole thing changed because I had I had um like 18 out of 21 lymph nodes that were positive. That's a lot. That's like a really wow. lot, you know. <laughs> and um yeah. And then there was like, you know, microinvasion and, you know, Mm -hmm. micrometastasis and stuff like that, but nothing palpable. And so then I had, you know, that's my surgery was in July. And then I had chemotherapy for until until January, you know, really the it's the. Common cocktail, but it's just really harsh the beginning six weeks, especially. Yeah. Um, of you know, AC plus T, which is the common, like Adriamycin, which is the Red Devil, the really really hard one, and oh. then eventually you do something called Taxol, which is easier. Um. And but you're still kind of down from the
0: first.
2: Yeah. First cycles, <clears throat> and then I did radiation from January to March. And, um, and for radiation, I went back to work, but I, I did not work during chemo because I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, people do it. I just, I couldn't operate at a level that I thought was good enough for the patients. And I can't, Mm. I'm a surgeon. So you can't just like see patients in the office because what do you, Mm -hmm. who's going to like fix them. Who's yeah. going to do yeah, this right? like, Sorry, can't do yeah. this until yeah.
0: um yeah, yeah. yeah. consult
2: yeah. like you yeah. are the consult. <laughs> so, it was it was like a really long road and it was you know, I think that the hardest part was just losing your identity. I mean, yeah. My identity is so mixed up in me being a doctor and a surgeon and taking care of other people's medical problems, not necessarily all their other problems like life problems, you know. When when I didn't have that anymore, it's like I I know that it seems like like right now I think where I've come to eventually is that there's all these other parts of my life, but at that time I couldn't remember what they were.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. When did Hallenbach come come into play?
2: As soon as these events started happening, just like even from the first time of diagnosis, I. I was like a writer my whole life, never a book, um, but always just that was like something that I really prided myself on. And I actually thought that's what I would do when I was like in college, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, that didn't really easily translate into a career. Um, So it was, it was something that I was always passionate about. So I started writing this my book really originally as every time something ironic would happen or something funny would happen or something that I thought, wow, nobody else, um, maybe nobody else knows about this because I sure as hell didn't know about it. And I thought it was in the know. Yeah. And so I'm going to just write down this like really succinct story that could be, um, you know, something that other people could learn from or laugh at or feel related to. And then it just kept going. And my, (laughs) I guess my saga became so encompassing of a lot of experiences that people have. Like, thank God I didn't have, you know, stage four metastatic, distant metastatic cancer, because I think that short of that, I went through almost all the other, like touched on, you know, the surgical part, the loss of your sense of, of your loss of your potty, positive body image, uh, chemo, radiation, family relationships, intimacy issues—you know the aftermath, finding yourself again—and you know just every single one of these stages just kind of rolled out to be what to me seemed like a pretty comprehensive ex- experience. And and I I just thought like this could be this amazing what to expect when you're expecting a breast cancer. Like if I could just get it into the shape that it needs to be like funny and succinct and like relatable and easy to read. And like, that was my goal.
1: Well, I certainly Mm -hmm. think that you accomplished it. And I really, I really like the story about you just being like, I think I can't remember the exact question I asked you last time, but you brought up a story of after you wrote the book, how you went to a book reading at Barnes and Noble and you saw your one patient there or something, but you were like, oh. I I think it's so inspiring because you basically wrote this book to help other people. And it was probably like a healing mechanism as well, like healing for your soul. I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, but then you will just like do anything to get it out there. And probably mm-hmm. after cancer, like, Showing up to a Barnes and Noble with one person like kind of sucks, but it can't suck like anything you've already been through, you know?
2: It's very true that you had to like, I mean, listen, you have to like really get some good armor for your ego when you do these things, because it is not easy. And every time that I put it all on the line related to my book, and I'll give you some examples, I'm like, I will never effing do this again. It's so demoralizing, but it's just like one good thing might come out of it. And that's the perspective that you really have to have. Like one person might walk in there and, and they might be a person that actually whose spouse had breast cancer or whose mother had it or sister had it. You don't even know the way that you're connecting to them. So here's like a really crazy story that I did not tell you last time because it hadn't even happened. So I, I, I was working on this just as a total, again, chasing down my dreams in any direction that they might lead me. But one of the chapters in the book talks about Pink Knight at the Beauty Bar, which was when I was in the middle of chemo and it was October and I thought, you know, I got to do something for breast cancer awareness month. But I was like, I am not a survivor right now. Like I'm in the middle of it. So I wasn't up for like a walk or like anything that was almost like proclaiming that I'm like going to get through this because I wasn't ready to make that commitment. I didn't really feel secure that I had this future at that point. And Honestly, I wasn't being told that I did yeah. by my oncologist. So, anyway, but I was like I got to do something. And so my one of my really close friends um who really got me through that time, she was like, "Oh, I heard about this Pink Night at the Beauty Bar, which is the original Bloomingdale's actually is in White Plains, New York, which is like right down the block from me, and they were doing this makeup event that was really low key and it's, you know, it's Bloomingdale's and it's nearby. And so I really like got myself decked out, which was really hard. Like I had no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. So it's like, you know, but makeup ironically was like a really big way that you could still feel human Mm -hmm. and not like a patient. So kind of had that symbolism. And I went to this event and I was like poster child, cancer patient. I mean, everybody was staring at me because I was so obvious, you know, and I got like a bajillion free samples, the like, the, like one... yeah, no, That's it's totally so fine. Funny. The one reporter who was there was like from the, you know, Westchester standard or whatever. <laughs> um, She was following me around the whole entire night. Uh, they were like taking pictures of me. So it had this like big impact, this being like, like I'm that poor cancer right. woman, you know? Um, And so when I, when I finished my book, I was like, okay, where are like the places that maybe I could get some traction just as like a self-published author. And I was like, one day I'm going to do an event back at Bloomingdale's, but it's going to be my book event, not me as the patient. Yeah, that's amazing. So, it, it, so that was like always in my head. Um, however, I had to actually make it happen and I ended up befriending one of the makeup artists at Laura Mercier. Do you yeah, know Laura Mercier? Tinted moisturizer, yeah.
0: oil-free. I love her stuff. Yeah, exactly. Of <laughs> so
2: I totally love her stuff. And I became friends with this woman. We um I don't know, I used to go in there a couple of times, like when I would have an event, and we ended up really becoming friends. And and so we developed this idea. She's like, We're gonna figure out a way to do a book event. Um, and so I planned it, like starting from about four months before October, because it was like Breast Cancer Awareness Month. The whole thing coming full circle. And the way that I really got enough credibility for them to even be willing to do it was actually social media. It it was having enough followers on Instagram that whether it's true or not, therefore I had the like credence to you know, cause otherwise who am I just like, yeah, some doctor that wrote about her breast cancer experience and like, you know, wrote a book about it. Like that doesn't have the same, um, it doesn't have the same gravitas as like 25,000, you know, Instagram followers in modern day perception, you know?
1: Yeah. Which we'll, we'll mention that.
0: Yeah. But your social media account is fantastic. And we're going to get into that again too. <laughs>
2: well, thank you. So anyway, point is I, I had this whole thing going and this woman, Trish, who was the makeup artist, you know, she had a boss and then she had a boss's boss. So her boss's boss was a woman named Lenore and she was working on this whole, um, you know, this whole event with me. Yeah. Three weeks before the event, she instant messages me or not instant messages me. She sends me a message on Instagram because she didn't really have like my cell phone. And she says, I knew there was a reason why you came into my life. Yeah. I just found out I have breast cancer. Oh, no.
0: And it was Gosh. really
2: crazy because, I mean, we were working on this thing and it was really overlapping time wise. So here's the really going to give you chills part of it.
0: I'm like, I'm like <laughs> crying. Well, so <laughs> she
2: was still really into it. She didn't want to let anything fall through the cracks. And it, at that time, I didn't have a lot of information, but like, luckily she had found her breast cancer on a screening mammogram. So it was not advanced. And that was really amazing. I did not know that. And I was like afraid to ask too many details, but it turns out. So yeah, her surgery was scheduled on the night of my event. So, and that was just, I mean, on the day, sorry, of my event. So, which was just weird because how did that happen she didn't choose that day and she was apologizing again and again like i can't believe i'm gonna miss it after this whole long road we went down together um and i had also talked to her obviously in the meantime about you know surgeons and and treatment and places and stuff like that um but she showed up to your event yeah after After surgery? surgery yes
1: She did. Oh,
2: my gosh. So she had a lumpectomy, which is, you know, obviously you're not going to show up if you have a mastectomy because you're still in the hospital. But still, she shows up at the event. Yeah. With both of her kids. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And then here's the craziest. I feel like
0: she's going to beat cancer off of like strength of will alone.
2: When she gets there, she comes there with her son and her daughter and her daughter and her son says i know you and i'm like what do you mean you know me he's like you saved my life no what? oh my god i, I said I- i'm like I-, I don't remember what you're talking about so turns out 4 years prior this 21 year old came in while i was on call with a bleeding profusely after a tonsil surgery performed at an outside hospital and I was the person on call and I took him to the OR and he was like massively hemorrhaging and they figured it out because when the mom was talking about me again and again in this event that they were going to go to together that she was coming to to support how I had supported her that the son went on social media sees that my name is Dr. Lando and puts it all together. He's like, that's the woman that operated on me that night in 2014. Oh my gosh, oh my I had chills God. from head to
1: toe. So I can't believe it. it the universe is so crazy. crazy. And
2: in their minds, I'm not saying other people couldn't have done what I did that night. It was like these are things we deal with all the time, but in their minds, there was this surgeon who had saved this kid's life. This you know, boys, uh, you know, 21-year-old's life. And then they put it all together. So when I was giving my little talk in Bloomingdale's, this woman, the woman who had just had the lumpectomy, she like literally screams out like... (sighs) She's a saint. She oh, saved my, my son's God. life. She's saved my life.
1: I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, okay, take it down a notch. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. That's, that's incredible. <gasps> that's so amazing.
2: It was crazy. That's just absolutely like, incredible. It was just like what you said. The universe is like weaving things in and out. And you, that's, it's kind of like, so my point is that I had a nice turnout to that event that I worked really hard on. But they were all people that I already knew.
0: (laughs) That's so crazy. Yeah, but that's all people that like love and support you so much that you have touched and your, your reach is so profound. I, wow. I, I'm, I'm so glad we get to speak with you again because I just, I love hearing your story. Your story is so inspirational and that sounds so cliche to say, but like, you're just, you're a freaking wonder like, but I think
2: my bigger point I mean as despite the fact that that story really was unbelievable and like unplanned what I'm trying to say is I um despite all of that I was like I'm still a giant loser because there are no people here that I did not personally make come tonight oh my gosh stop
1: no. I promise you but quality not quantity true <laughs> and what are the odds that there's one person you touch through your medical career and another person who happens to be his mother that you touched because of it's what you're doing for your breast life. cancer. Yeah. You know, I just it's so unreal. There's like a, yet another example of like you don't care who you reach as long as you're reaching someone and that's why you go about and doing And that was this kind of the point of basis. it all, right? Because
2: you mm-hmm. can't, you know, yeah. um but that's, but I still on that day before all of this happened, before I knew any of this was going to happen. And all of my friends are texting me like, I'm not going to make it. Sorry. I'm stuck in a meeting. Oh, I don't have a babysitter. And I'm like cringing and getting like more and more and more like in my shell and feeling like, why did I do this? Put myself out on the line and think that I'm, you know, going to get a crowd just by like, going out to speak. And at the end of all of it, it's like, you know what I mean? Like that was why it was all worth it.
1: That yeah. moment. Yeah, That's unreal. So what what are you doing? What are you doing now? What's next? Like what do you <laughs> yeah. have planned? What's, what's your yeah. mission? What's <laughs> what's happening? So, uh, you know, I Learning yeah, so I know exactly. Math.
2: <laughs> you know, I keep I keep really um struggling with this question because i did try to give myself a time frame like i i i published my book last may and i thought that i gave myself a year like that's what i told my husband by the way um like i give myself this year to like pursue different avenues to go to every event that I'm invited to speak at, whether it be, you know, a high school uh, library event or whether it's Athleta, which, you know, like the store has like these and whether it's Barnes and Nobles, which they didn't ask me, I asked them or whatever it is. I just said yes to everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Like even in two weeks from now, I'm going to speak in Brooklyn, but I'm going to speak to this ultra- Orthodox Hasidish population. And I'm oh. talking to them because there's a real problem in that population about screening, you oh. know, and I'm going with my friend who's oh, a breast okay. radiologist really to just try to be a force of, you know, there's this belief in that community that why find out because what are you going to do about it as if there isn't something to do about it and trying to disavow them of that way of thinking. But the point is that's, seems so off topic from my book but i keep trying to just move like allow it to branch into all different directions but you know at the end of it all i still have this dream that you know oprah's going to like open it up one mm-hmm. day and be like oh yes this is what this is great we need it <laughs> out there you know and um
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna take her in the post for this <laughs>
2: but, <laughs> but even just you and know she right. and the thing <laughs> is that um, even though I'm saying that and I'm being a little cheeky, really what I, what I've realized,
0: put it out into the universe. It's clearly <laughs> like giving you all these, but these, these yeah, people. And I,
2: but I think that what I keep trying to remind myself is that that's actually not the point because what the point is, yeah. is the girl that I knew from college who I haven't seen in a million years, who had breast cancer, who, you know, texted me, Hey, I just read your book for the second time. And I'm like, That's the coolest thing that I've heard all day, you know, that she went through it and she actually wanted to read it a second time. Like if it resonates that much with even just one woman in their thirties or forties, like in the thick of it all with, with all these obligations and, and, um, like that's, that's pretty amazing. And I got to take that to be like the goal instead of some, you know, fame that we're all chasing or some like instant Mm -hmm. gratification of people, you know, Mm -hmm. paying attention to you and it's hard, right? It's hard not to like get sucked into wanting it like to be bigger scale.
1: Yeah, no, it's very hard. I've, Mm -hmm. I've had my blog since 2014 and the biggest struggle for me is absolutely defining a mission of it. You know, I could say a lot of things, but sometimes when I look at what I'm doing, I'm like, what are you doing? Like every other post you make a meme And then you write something (laughs) about your life and then you go online and you write some more about your life and you just hope that your own story like touches someone, you know, or makes a change somewhere. And I think like over the last five years, I've realized that it actually does make a huge difference and people do follow you for your story. Mm -hmm. And just by the fact that I've always been a really vulnerable person and I I think I like grew up believing that everyone was vulnerable and and capable of sharing and happy to share just because that's the way that I I am but that's mm-hmm. not the truth. So yeah. like the fact that you're mm-hmm. doing it is just going to attract people to you and it's kind of I think a game of who can hang in there the longest. <laughs> I mean you have 25,000 followers on Instagram there was a time that I had 25,000 followers on Instagram. And I think eventually-
2: And now you have 100, what, like
1: 4,000 or yeah, It's like 111. Oh, sorry. i sorry. <laughs> I cheated you out of the last 7,000. I know, sorry. But, <laughs> okay, but you just like, eventually you keep going and trying new things and some things work and yeah. some things don't. And you realize what you really like and I feel like it just transpires over time. And it's just sort of like survival of the mm-hmm. fittest. If you still love it after five years, just keep going. If you don't love it anymore, then yeah. go a different direction. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so far it's like all worked out for me and I do really enjoy it. But I have had to switch directions a few times. And I feel like that's just what happens to anyone, you know, and that's kind of what you're doing. I mean, crap, you yeah. freaking had breast cancer. You're a pediatric. It's just like you have a crazy story. I mean, you have something to share and you should share it. I've heard your story before and you tell me again and I still tear up when you talk about it, especially (laughs) when you talk about your dad and the whole like series of events and everything terrible that happened to you, you know? And and you're a prime example of the whole, it happened, you know, for me, not to me thing. Like you've done your best to like create something good out of some really terrible things. So I just- I love hearing stories like this. And I know other people will um, particularly related to cancer because it's just such a bitch
2: you know such a bitch bitch. did you see my post my cancer is an asshole t-shirt post no because um (gasps) was it recent I think yeah it was really recent because it's like a really cool t-shirt and I feel bad because I cannot remember where I got that t-shirt it was like on Etsy about it you know and it's just like a cool t-shirt but it's like in gold script like cancer is an asshole so actually I I have seen it oh it's yeah Yeah, yeah it's a cool shirt it's like it's like a nice look shirt, but
1: you can't just like walk around wearing oh it every day. Oh my gosh. You know? That's so funny. I looked at your post. I read it, but I didn't realize that your t-shirt said cancer is an asshole and gold letter. I know letter. I'm turned a
2: little bit, right? Yeah yeah I yeah. was trying to get the angle that you could read the t-shirt but it's really hard to read and then I just thought it was boring That's to just awesome. stand there so um my daughter has tennis practice and I actually don't play tennis and I made the tennis instructor <laughs> like have me hold the racket and she was like you are pathetic because I was not holding it the way you do if you actually know how to play tennis <laughs> it's all about
1: the t-shirt yeah, but
0: it's all about the t-shirt I know. like yes I think you look great in it <laughs> I do too you're just I feel like if I were to to just try and describe you in, like, one word, it would be limitless. She
1: is. For sure. You are. So sweet. 100%. Like, it's very easy. And so just to
2: reiterate, though, you don't think that it's a little insane that I plan these videos in the OR to, like, (laughs) random songs and then make people do it with me? No.
0: I don't. No. I don't. Okay, this is, like, okay, I do... Last thing I want to keep you for, I know you've got to go and teach the girls core math. Please save me. But your Instagram is so empowering and cool. And you do these awesome videos in the OR and like your content is just, it's so real. It's so relatable. And it, it, even for like the lay person that like, isn't in medicine like they can go and they can like everyone wants to see what the body looks like on the inside you know everyone likes pimples being popped everyone wants to see what like your innards look like where it's it's human curiosity and you just
1: like the foreign bodies post (laughs) I mean it's so I do love that post and you know her most recent resident video post did you like that I love it and I just was watching and I wish that I work somewhere I could make posts like that make videos like that and like not get fired but I'm, I'm gonna get scared. fired who said I'm yeah. not getting
2: fired I'm definitely getting fired I mean did you do you are yeah I don't know because I just did a spoof on getting high on the anesthetic gas which is so so crossing the line and I got this anesthesiologist to do it with me because he gets me Perfect. but I'm like if yeah anyone from administration sees that I'm seriously gonna be fired you could just put
1: on a disclaimer yeah well you could just blame it on like a nitrous right. leak slap, or something like. they'll, they'll slap your wrist but you just like okay like I won't do it next time I always I am a huge proponent of just asking for forgiveness and not permission so like I would totally I just throw know. it out there wait I for my know. wrist to get slapped yeah yeah for sure but no your videos yeah. are fantastic we both love your Yay. account and we don't we we tell people like their accounts oh, yeah. are cool but like we really do love your account both me and D do so, yeah. um,
0: yeah. And your daughter should know that we think your videos are super cool. And we think yes. you are super cool. So.
1: And so I know you um, live my dream with three girls. I would love to have three girls.
0: <laughs> Danny's going to have
1: oh, all those oh, for now. sure.
2: <laughs> and plus, like, don't wish for that until you realize that, like, you're going to have three teenagers Weddings. with their periods <laughs> at the same fucking time
1: <laughs> so true cuz everyone cycles up it's going to be a nightmare okay true true <laughs> My my husband
2: already hides in the backyard and smokes a cigar when it gets too intense in our house. So poor
1: husband, God knows what he's going to do then. Oh my God. That would be my, that would be my current boyfriend for sure. Just getting chill in the backyard while every, all the chaos happens inside. All you
2: see is a little like, I mean, I'm very against smoking, but I give him like once a month, like reprieve for a cigar, which I don't count Mm -hmm. as a cigarette. Yeah. Um, just because it's very intense. The worst. to live in my house
1: <laughs> yeah I, I cannot imagine i cannot imagine but i love it
0: <laughs> dr landa thank you so much you're, you're just welcome you're limitless i'm just gonna keep saying it you're limitless oh you're you so want to take sweet. us out d like sure you do? oh wait let's um where all can people find you Oh,
2: yes, yes. Please find me. Um, so on Instagram, I, I just was very consistent. So it's at Helen Back Book. Um, I also Facebook, same thing, um, Helen Back Book. And I have a website that's got a lot of other goodies, like um, personal background information and some blogs, although I don't do a regular blog, that is Also, www.HelenBackBook.com. And so I'd love, I I really love to meet new people. I try to get back to anyone that, you know, has any specific, as long as it's not a stalker. (laughs) um, I'm,
0: yeah. Had some of those.
2: Or someone who claims to be in the military, but it's like (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) Alex.1956Y. Sorry. I was like, hi, you look a little Ukrainian. I don't think you're in the American military, but okay. <laughs> um and uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna keep it going because I I feel like it I don't know. Think you should it just the I feel like I use my social media to kind of do a little unification of my of my microcosm world mm-hmm. in the hospital and people seem to feel like, you know, they're a part of something and it, it gets a lot of positive Absolutely. feedback. Absolutely
0: that's amazing
2: okay well it's great talking to you guys yeah. it's
0: been so lovely to talk to you too um i really hope we can all meet in person someday if we're all like up in new york go grab some yeah. coffee i would love to go move we all could... of your books to the front at like barnes and noble or something
2: oh my god that's gonna be really tough because i don't even think they talk they you know have it in stock but you know well then we can just we, take...
0: we can take them in and like, that'd be so cool. Place them perfectly. Just, just leave a stack on the bestsellers. Book table. I would love that. That's just
2: like my husband just nailed children at play signs totally illegally all over our neighborhood. And I am waiting to get him to Nasty get arrested Graham. for this, but
1: that's amazing. It's
0: really I funny. It.
2: The funnier thing is that he walked me. We took a walk on Saturday and I'm like, wow, when did these signs get here? And he's like, I don't know. And he left me like half an hour. He left me trying to figure out which family got permission from the town to get these signs put up when I have been trying to do that for like years. And then he's like, I don't know, maybe it's someone in that gray house. And I'm like, but we live oh, in the gray house. Oh my gosh. And he's like, I know. Ooh. And I'm like, oh, M. So great. <laughs> you just
0: outed him on the bike. <laughs> yeah, you did. I know. I know.
1: But no one knows that's where I live. Great. Yeah.
0: That's perfect.
1: Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, right. thank you so much again. Talk to you
0: later. All right. This has been another amazing episode of the WOMED. Thank you guys for listening. As always, you can like, subscribe, comment, rate, review, all the good things. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter at The Womed. I'm D. I'm Danny. And we are The Womed. We are
1: out. And we are out. <laughs> we are out.